Hello and welcome back to Haunted 518, fellow paranormal aficionados. I'm sure as you can surmise by the excitement in my voice today, I have a wonderful guest here and I am so excited to talk to her. We have um, Sue Hansen with us who is going to be talking to us about the Boston Spa area, Charlton area, and just some amazing incredible things that uh she's done in the in the paranormal community um restoring a beautiful building so we're gonna get right into it but first and foremost a huge thank you and welcome to sue hansen for joining us today thank you so much for having me i'm excited yes yeah we are so excited to have you um first i always my guests are well accustomed to this i always announce what i'm drinking and we are listeners we are recording very early today before 9 a.m start time so today it is non-alcoholic usually i have a local i try to spotlight local breweries and local craft beers but today is simply a polar seltzer but they have a new flavor it's strawberry watermelon so it's really delicious so I recommend it and a big cheers to our listeners, but more importantly to you, Sue, for being here. So thank you. Yeah, is I always like to ask my guests before we get into it, I have so many questions for you. Um, I, we've chatted a bunch and you've sent me some incredible photos that listeners wait till you see these photos to go along with what she's going to tell us today. They're incredible. But is there any like social media or um, like website or anything you want us to just be aware of on your end um, that you'd like the listeners to know about? I don't promote, there's nothing okay. that I'm working on. No, um, no problem. I always ask no, just in case. You never know. Sometimes sometimes the guests will be like, oh, yeah, I have this thing I didn't even mention so far. And um, so I always like to check because I'm happy to promote any and all projects people are working on. Um, so, yeah, so that's wonderful. We can get right into it. So, of course, the first question I always have for my, my guests is, did you grow up in this area? And if not, you know, where did you grow up? What geographical location are you coming from? I grew up outside of Rome, New York, the 315 area code, uh, which is equally haunted. <laughs> yeah. So I've heard. That's another podcast for another time. I think. Yeah. Is 315 also Syracuse? That is Roman yeah. Syracuse. Yeah. I had a gentleman. Um, actually, it's a two-part episode. He's coming back, and I just talked to him the other day. Um, we did a part one of Syracuse, and it was too much for one episode. That whole area was totally blew my mind even though it's not in the 518 it was so worth stepping out outside of so yeah we would you're always welcome back we'd love to hear anything you'd want to chat about you know pertaining to that area again I I grew up in this area and I always say how did I not know these things so I'm just a hop skip and a jump away from Syracuse so I, I just can't believe through this podcast how much I've learned um, that's wonderful. So pretty, pretty close to where we're at now. And right now you're currently um, residing in the Boston Spa area, correct? Correct. Awesome. And so I think I like to kind of start also with what, like, what's your background in the paranormal, in your paranormal interests? Like, was it from when you were little or did it kind of start more when you, um, you know, in, in your later in life? So what's your background of the interest in it? My first experience was very profound. Mm. I was a kindergartner. Wow. Um, my I used to go to afternoon um, kindergarten, so I was allowed to stay up a little bit later. 
I was looking out my parents' picture window. They had a large floor-to-ceiling type window. Wow. And my mother came over and she was watching, you know, she took me away from the window and she pulled the curtain shut and she didn't say another word. She just said, you have to go to bed. Well, I didn't say anything because I knew even at five, sometimes you don't bring unusual things up. So many years later, I was uh, 16 and I was sitting at the counter and I was having coffee with my mom. You know, I was loving (laughs) coffee then. And I said, mom, I have to ask you something. I said, when you took me out of the window when I was five, you shut the curtain and you, you kind of hurried me up to bed. I said, mom, I saw people. I saw like colonial people, not one Whoa. person, but many people, like men, women. And they were all like sort of floating up the driveway and, and, and just going through the other side of the house. Wow. My mother dropped her coffee cup. Oh my she goodness. Said, <laughs> yeah. She said, I did not think that you saw that. And I said, yeah, I saw that. Oh my gosh. There were, this was a modern ranch house. Oh, wow. But the land was very near uh, Fort Stanwix. So it makes me wonder, um, you know, what, what, what it was about the land. Interesting. Um, a lot of, a lot of experiences at, at that residence. Yeah. And so Fort Stanwitz is like in the Rome area, like around Rome. I, again, I've never heard of Fort Stanwitz. I'm so used, or I'm so, um, uh, familiar with like the Saratoga battlefield, Ticonderoga, Fort William Henry. Um, but again, I just familiarizing myself. So that is absolutely fascinating. I just want to say, Sue, you gave me the first of, I'm sure many goosebumps with that story. I just got like head to toe goosebumps while she was telling that. <laughs> so I'm sure there's going to be many more instances of that. Um, but that is incredibly fascinating. I didn't realize I actually wasn't familiar with the term picture window. So that's crazy that you had such a, uh, unimpeded view looking out and you saw these figures and um, that that makes sense considering the location of it so that's fascinating um, yeah and then basically I know that um, that probably did that pique your interest a little or was there kind of um, was there anything what was like the next time you started thinking about it after that I wasn't really scared I was yeah very accepting of it um we my i have two siblings two sisters Mm -hmm. uh, older and younger and we always talked about the man in the closet well there was always a man in the closet oh my gosh was in the bedroom closet in this specific bedroom whoa there was just a white man and when you open the closet there he was so like we would go through the checklist of shutting the closet door when we went to bed at night and my mom said oh it was probably just one of us coming in to check on you but we knew better Oh my Uh, goodness. (laughs) And that was in the house that you grew up in? Yes. Oh my, and I know we had chatted a little bit and you, you said there were many stories associated with that and you had sent me a little reminder to tell you about the ringing bell and the corner bedroom. Is, Is that that same property? Yes. So the ringing bell story, um, I was 15 and I was sound asleep. And I used to have a bell collection. I don't have bells today. (laughs) I did at the time for obvious reasons. But I woke up and the bell was ringing over my head like a school bell, ringing and ringing and ringing. Oh, my goodness. If I open my eyes, I'm going to have a heart attack. So I started to pray. And I, you know, I was 15. I really didn't have an elaborate 
uh, prayer to go to. So I prayed a very basic prayer, and it sounded like someone threw a baseball through the bedroom window. Oh, my goodness. As soon as that happened, I'm getting chills. Me too. Me too. And I I felt like whatever was wrong was gone, and I turned on the light. flew out. Wow. Yes, and the, and I touched the window and I looked at it and it was perfect. Whoa! There was nothing wrong. At that time in our house, we had a lot of activity. Um, the corner bedroom that was next to my bedroom, and um, we would hear sounds of um, orchestra music, tinkling glasses, people laughing, and I kept thinking, how can there be like slaughter, you know, from all of these tribes and um, you know colonists and all of this stuff mm-hmm. war and then there's all these parties so i never really figured out the history yeah. piece of that um i'm sure if i delved yeah. into it maybe when i have a little free time i could probably do that but um I, even when we had guests stay in that bedroom and they uh, one guest in particular came out and said um i'm guys you're so loud you know can you just quiet down we were watching uh, oh my goodness <laughs> and i'm like keep it down we're That's funny. Then, then I started to realize it wasn't just me or my sisters. Yeah. Everybody. And you said that was a modern ranch, basically, yeah. like a house you probably wouldn't necessarily expect. I always that I I always find those kind of stories even like scarier in my opinion because it's you think you're kind of safer and maybe newer construction or things that don't have necessarily as much character or history or just visually don't look as uh, you know (laughs) there's no impending doom or (laughs) glooms over them nothing like victorian so that's that's really fascinating and the bell thing is really interesting to me too because i've read a lot about i have kind of a little area set up in my apartment and I have a bell there that I just kind of, th- I, I said, let something kind of come to me, like th- basically as a collector. Um, and I found this bronze bell and it's got an elephant at the top and I just loved it. And I just came across it over the years of kind of, you know, in and out of shops and the just the lore associated with bells and how they can be used to call upon spirits if you ring them I know um in certain spiritualist communities and then I know um like uh they kind of can be used to cleanse an area as like sound cleansing and so I actually always worry I'm gonna hear a bell (laughs) in my own house because I first of all I hear I like brought it into my space and then I'm thinking like oh I'm like why did I do this to myself but I I haven't ever heard a story of someone locally having that happen so I can't even imagine how fear like how much fear you must have had you know I would have done the same thing I wouldn't have wanted to open my eyes either and then that sound of something exiting that's undeniable that's really fascinating and so I I also just want to tell my listeners tell everybody um through speaking with Sue before this podcast and you know kind of talking about you know what you know what experiences she's potentially had she's brave friends like you are very brave there's so much you have told me um that we're gonna get into that there's just no way I could 
I've lived in houses and that's why I started this podcast, but I, I exited them very quickly because I was very, very scared. <laughs> so I like changed my address because of things. And so um, you are incredibly brave. And I really just love the way you described it that, you know, you, it's not something that scares you, um, but it's something like you've learned to live with. And it's actually sounds like it's been kind of a beautiful experience, um, which we'll get into. So I really, really thank you so much for sharing that. Um, the next thing is kind of, you know, how does the paranormal fit into your life now? How do you see that with, um, you know, your current location and um, where you're living and, and what you've done? Um, I have learned to live with it and it, it happens a lot more frequently, I would say, yeah. but not as, um, it's not as dramatic. Like I, mm. I, they, they, whoever they are, they have my attention. Yeah, I recognize wow. that they're around. They don't need to ring bells or scare me. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I live in a very old building. I live in a, a 1910 building that was in wow. 1910. It was a bowling alley upstairs. Whoa. And the lanes still remain. The original tin, of, and I sent you a few photos. Oh, yeah. Uh, still remains. And downstairs uh, was a restaurant. Uh, before that, it was a hotel, three-story hotel. Wow. It, the entire block burned in 1901 on March 1st. And Whoa. I researched this through Sanborn maps. And that's how I figured out what this was and what it then what it was after that. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. I had a psychic come. I was having the psychic come to my, my regular home in Charlton years ago. And I called her at the last second. I said, meet me at this address, which was this building. Oh I didn't God. want her to have time to research. And so what she said to me, she said, there's a lot of people here. And I said, I, I know, I know things happen all the time. And wow. she said, well, they're upset about the, the, um, they're upset about the floor. We had to take one bowling lane out. Oh my goodness. Table. And I said, um, I said, well, one of the, the bowling lanes was ruined. So we made it into a table and it's still here. So nothing was lost. And she's like, no, no, they're upset about the third floor. I said, oh. the third floor, that hotel burned down in 1901. I didn't oh. do anything to that. Oh, my goodness. That's so, crazy. So from, from way, way back, the spirits have been coming and going. Yeah. And uh, so I've learned to live with it. One of the things that happened to me um, when I started moving furniture in here, I had a mattress delivered. And it was hot. It was a warm day. But inside here, it's a very old brick building. So it stays, you know, fairly comfortable. But, but after the delivery man left, it was, you know, I have radiators and the radiators are like ticking and making hissing sounds. And I'm thinking, why is the heat on? It was all the way up, dialed all the way up. Oh my 90. goodness. To 90? Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, it was really hot in here. And I thought, oh, Whoa. here we go. And then yeah. I started talking and saying, you cannot do that. You cannot scare me. You cannot scare people. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yep, get your furniture out of here. Don't even think about it. <laughs> Hit the road, or I'll 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 sweat you out. That exactly. is so crazy. That you know that's so fascinating. Would you just mind telling our listeners you the name of the building? Um, I want to make sure I'll let you say it because I don't want to mispronounce it. But what the name of the building and then the owner, the owner's name, the original owner. This is the Massey. M-A-S-S-E-Y, awesome. Massey Building. And I um, I have a plaque 
on the on the building oh, wow. for this gentleman. I kind of thought if I gave him a little you know, yeah. hat, maybe he would be happy. Apparently, and I read a lot of articles about him, Herbert Massey just went by HB, and I researched oh. through FultonHistory.com, and I read a lot of newspapers about him. He was kind of like a, um, I wouldn't say a bad guy. He was like maybe a little bit of a criminal, oh. um, but he also was... <laughs> very particular when he had his hotel very particular and it was stated over and over in the newspapers oh my goodness so i think that at first he didn't want if it's him he didn't want me here yeah but as i made improvements because it was downstairs is fine it's an office space upstairs Mm. was horrible really dilapidated wow and as over the year it took to renovate the upstairs uh things quieted down. He got a little happier. Interesting. You know? Usually it's the opposite. It's like you changed my space, you did things and, and you did it, but you definitely, you're honoring the building and you're honoring him by doing so. And that plaque is, I mean, I'm sure so many people walk by that not knowing how important that, that might be to someone and to just help you kind of rest easier in this space. So that's really beautiful that you did that. I think that's wonderful. I This all made me think of like, how did you even come upon the building? Did you drive by it one day and just say, I love it? Or how, like, how did this even come into your life? No, this was actually um, through business because the downstairs office was a business that um, oh, wow. I opened with um, my spouse at the time. Cool. And then as time went by, it became my building. And yeah. at that point, it was already renovated. Oh, wow. But it, it is, an, it's a very unique, narrow, deep building. Very, and very high. There's a lot of space, um, like 12 foot high ceilings. Wow. All the, um, and in those days, because of the bowling alley, they had a lot of space in between the floors. So you really cannot hear a thing in between from downstairs to upstairs. Oh, that's super interesting. I, I've never heard of a bowling alley on a second floor. That's the, that's a first. <laughs> and, um, and that's really fascinating. I know that you sent me uh, like a little bit of information about what you actually experience in the bowling alley apartment. Would you mind sharing with our listeners some experiences that you've had in there? Oh, sure. Well, the first, um, one of the first things that happened before I even moved in here with the, the heater and all of that, I was, um, I, I wanted the people that worked on this because it did take over a year. Wow. Well, the man that did the plumbing and the man that did the mm. electrical and the, the, um, the people that, the contractors. Wow. So I had a party on um, November 14th, 2000, uh, no, 2014 on the 6th of November, I think it was. And um, so we had everyone come back and I had all the, like a video before and after, and it was a great time. But as I was, you know, setting everything up, the man who was taking like the last minute pieces of wood and all yeah. the odds and ends, screws and all this stuff out of here for the party. I said, Oh, you know, you're, I, you, you left your screw gun. I can hear it down there going. He's like, no, it doesn't go by itself. You have to like, hold it. and I'm like, well, it's running. He's like, Oh, things like that happen to me all the time. Oh and I said, God. me too. And, and so that was the first time. And he said, you know, my stuff gets moved around all the time and it's just me. <laughs> I was like, ah, interesting. So, oh my goodness, locked the place up, didn't rent it. it you know, I, I was, I didn't. It was so beautiful. I didn't want to rent it, but I knew yeah. I probably should Airbnb it or rent it. And I, I wasn't here at that time. So, um, I would come up here and just 
I had I had a key and the contractor had a key and he was done. So basically it was just me up here. So I'd come up and I look around, I'm like, why are the curtains all messed up? Every time I would come up there, just one panel because the whole front, there's like curtains, curtains, curtains. And I would very lovingly, you know, set them up and I didn't want them to touch the radiator. So yeah. they were a little long, so I would tuck them under and kind of arrange them so they looked nice. And there was always one panel that was pulled out and left. Oh my just goodness. Say, I, I'm just here. So you know I'm here. Oh exactly. my goodness. That's so wild. When you were working, you know, in the offices on the first floor, obviously you you said, you know, noise transference was virtually um non-existent, but did you ever when it was vacant, did you ever hear anything? Probably not, right? Between the two floors? No, but this whatever is up here mm-hmm. in the upstairs is in the downstairs. I've heard oh. um, newspapers rustling oh, in my the goodness. in the waiting room and I'm like, who even has a newspaper? Anymore, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. right? laughs> and so I said to the lady at the front desk, Who's out there? And she's like, well, I don't know. I peek out, no one. I've heard my wow. I've I, I um I've heard my oh. name called and it's it is the the ladies that work downstairs oh, are absolutely God scared to death to be alone in the building. Yeah, that's me. That's how I'd be. I'd be like, I'll work for you, but I can't be here alone. That's in the contract. <laughs> that's crazy. That's having your name called always makes me very nervous because I know I've talked about it on one episode, I'm not sure, but like mimicry with spirits and and sometimes I get nervous and then I've heard from even from some mediums that I've seen or um talked to, they've said, you know, you never answer something, a disembodied voice. But then you think like, well, I've been living with with these spirits and clearly there's a history and it's probably the person. And so ha- part of me would say like, well, of course I would want to answer them. So that's really fascinating too. I've had my name called once out to me and it was in an apartment that I found out during the the whole awful experience I had there. And I did physically vacate it because of everything. Um, it, it did, it had a kind of a wild history to it. It wasn't that old of a place, but that really scared me because it sounded like a loved one um, that I, that has passed and, and it was in their voice, but I knew my gut was telling me, no way it's not them. And I had all the things that had been leading up to that that point and what happened after it was just clear it wasn't that person and so that really scared me I did not answer it but um but uh, that's a story for another day <laughs> I keep telling my listeners I'm gonna eventually tell that at some point and then I get nervous talking about it, about it um but that's really fascinating and I know you said you've seen um, many orbs also so you're just kind of living with orbs floating around <laughs> that's so great <laughs> you're brave I, I, I was on a <laughs> And I, I was waiting for everyone to get on. You know how you sort of set up and fix your hair and all mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And I saw yep. a bird, a bird spirit fly through the apartment. And I just, wow. I just smiled. I've been on Zoom calls at, at, at another person's house, and I see things at their house. Oh, really? Yeah, just wow. like a little blip, you know, just a little thing. Well, we have yeah. a lot of orbs. We call it the great room, and that's mm. um, the front of the building. Oh, and wow. it's the sound is different. I can't explain to you how unique it is. When you come oh. down the hall, it's warm down there. It's um, very bright. And everyone says, this is such a happy room. Oh. And it is a happy room. Oh. It, it's a very happy room. That's beautiful. And that's where all the orbs tend to be. Interesting. In this one, and that's where the dining room is and the um, 
the couch and the television, all yeah. that sort of thing. Um, the orbs show up in all of our, pretty much all of our pictures. Wow. Uh, we took holiday pictures and my daughter set up her phone and I've taken pictures with, um, you know, regular digital camera. Yeah. And you can see them move, move through. Wow. I'll just take a random picture as like a joke and send it to one of my yeah. girlfriends who loves, you know, spirit things. Yeah. And I'll say, how many orbs do you see? And she's like, five. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I just was talking to my friend the other day. She has a podcast too. And, um, and I said, have you ever like gone back maybe you I spent an hour recording I'm home alone and then oh I go to edit it and you hear a voice that you know you know you're home alone I, I, I've never had that happen or even now being on a zoom we're recording and um and I'm like one of these days I'm gonna be mid-sentence and something's gonna come into my screen into my line of vision and I'm gonna freak out <laughs> but that that's fascinating the the bird orb that's I've never heard that sounds beautiful but also that's wild I've never heard a description like that so that's that's fascinating. I keep looking to your door in the background. Too. She's in this beautiful room, listeners, with these like gorgeous tall windows and tall ceilings, and there's a door in the back corner. So I've got my eye, my eyes keep going there also. <laughs> so listeners, um, Sue was kind enough to send me some photos of this space, and it is needless to say, it's just stunning. It's beautiful. Just. Thank you so much for bringing it back to life with the renovations that you did. And I am so happy to be able to share that with everyone. So keep your eyes out. I will definitely be posting on our social media um, some wonderful images of the space. And then speaking of images, and I don't believe these are the same spaces um, that you sent me, but you sent me some photos and they are wild. There is a photo that looks like it's at a reception, maybe like a wedding reception, um, and then in like a living room area. And I will definitely post these. Um, I have them pulled up. I'm looking at them right now. Would you mind telling our listeners about what happened in these photos and then I'll make sure they get eyes on them? Sure. So the there's a photo of... Um woman and a man sitting at a table and this was a Halloween wedding Ooh. very rainy very creepy night oh wow and I had a young young kids at that time and I really didn't want to go to this wedding initially because I wanted to take them trick-or-treating but um it was uh, a staff a staff person's daughter and mm. so we were really obligated to go so yeah. we went to the wedding and um I had basically stuck a mascara wand in my eye accidentally earlier oh, getting no. ready so my eye was hurting and you know I had a glass of wine so I'm taking pictures of people at the table I take this picture I didn't think anything of it, it was with a regular digital camera I get home the next day my eyes better I look at the pictures and I'm like oh my gosh what is this in between the husband and wife there is a hooded figure it's wild so, it is so clear it's wild that that kind of scared me, and that is mm -hmm. what is today's Augie's Italian restaurant in Boston. Oh, interesting. And then it was it was called Giron's back at the time that I was there, and before that, many years ago, it was a train station. So oh, I asked right. the owners. I said, "Does anything?" We I showed the the wife the the um, person the owner's wife. I said, "Do you have weird things happen here?" And she said, "Oh." 
salt and pepper shakers fly off the table. Oh so, my yes, goodness. Very crazy things happen there. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. You know, I, I love Augie's. I haven't been there in a while, but, um, but I, I never, I, completely forgot that it used to be a train station it's such a beautiful building i am zooming in on this right now i'm very excited to share that with listeners thank you so much for giving us a little bit of info about it because um i just think that's like one of the more clear pictures from guests that i've received so and then the second picture in my opinion is the creepier and crazier of the, just as crazy i should say is wild i have that one pulled up now and Listeners, again, wait till you see this one, if you don't mind telling them about it. So that was taken at my home in Charlton. And my young daughter, and if you really look closely, you could see her kneeling down. Oh, yeah. Taking a picture of the German Shepherd. So it was National Dog Day. And she was a naughty 12 or 13-year-old. And so I took her phone away. So she said, well, can I at least post something with my tablet? Now, this is like an old kind of a junky tablet. I'm like, go for it. So she takes a picture of the dog and she posts it on, I don't even know what little, I don't even know what it was. It may have been Instagram or something Mm -hmm. like that. Well, her friends are going crazy. Like, do you, did you look at the picture? So we look at the picture and I'm like, oh my gosh. So basically the reflection in the sliding glass door is a man standing behind my daughter and the dog's not looking at my daughter. She's nope. like, Max, Max, he's looking over her shoulder at the spirit. Oh my gosh, I have chills. Looks, <laughs> it looks exactly like my father. Oh, really? Yeah, my father used to stand with his hands in his pockets and he always, and he was deceased at that time and he had wow. uh, always wore like a white collared shirt. Mm. It looks very much like my father. Now, I showed a psychic this picture, and she said, that's not your father. No. That's oh. not something good. That's oh. That's she would say. I oh, know. Goodness. So, I don't know. I like to believe it was my father, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's a, a very similar experience I had where I was seeing two mediums at the same time, and... um. And one of them was telling me in that same apartment that I mentioned that the activity was my brother who had passed. And I, I just never felt like it was him. But, and then when it mimicked his voice, I just didn't believe it. And then, um, and he passed pretty young. And so I, I just, I I always felt a connection with him and, um, he was in his twenties and I just never felt like it was him, but it was definitely a male something. But then I went to see a second medium, Um, and like in a matter of words, she basically said like, that is not something good. And she thinks there was like potentially an intention behind the other medium telling me it was that, um, and she, so it kind of, these two people who had never met before, they both told me very similar, almost exact things. And it's a, it's a lengthy story, which I'll get into one day for everyone. But, um, but it was really weird for my psyche to have been told two very different opinions or to, and then to have my gut instinct kind of pulling me in one direction. Cause it really can like play, play games with your mind. It, it was crazy. And that's why I just was like, I have to vacate this space. But listeners, I, when I tell you, this is probably the clearest image I've ever seen, even in just like me doing research, but in any of my guests sending anything in and any of my research for this podcast, it's, 
undeniable that is clearly a figure standing right next to your daughter right just just behind offset just behind and and the fact that the dog is clearly looking at them and that it wouldn't you know give her the attention to for the photo is is wild and then I get my mind kind of runs away with me the dog looks a little like not frightened by any means but but he's like transfixed almost in the photo it's 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 fascinating in that home have you ever felt or seen anything in the charlton home um was there a lot of activity there as well there is a lot of activity there i don't live there um but that house is again 1989 it wasn't an old house i don't know why it, it was farmland, I guess, at one time. Mm. Uh, we heard uh, piano music on the morning of my mother-in-law's funeral. Oh, Not wow. Not just me, the whole family heard, like, wow. piano music. And it wasn't, like, a beautiful piano. It was, like, a little kid's, like... Plinking? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, very weird. Wow. Um, alarm, the alarms went off at my father-in-law's um, after-funeral um, luncheon. We saw things. We heard things. Um, not not so much with orbs. Orbs is really mm. associated with the Boston Spa place. Mm. But um, my children were basically tormented as little kids. Oh yes, my, my goodness! Son was, um, my son up until the age of seven, and I told him, I said, "This will stop. You will stop seeing things because that's like your mind can't handle it." Mm-hmm. I said, "It'll stop." And hopefully, I don't know if I suggested that to him, and it worked, but. He um, he saw um, a soldier wow. in the hallway. At age three, he said, oh, there's a man in my, my hallway. And I said, oh, okay, what, what's, what, was he, what was he doing? And he said, well, he had a, he had a gun and a helmet. Whoa. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, you know, cause my son's father's like, oh, yeah, yeah, here we go. <laughs> so I, I said, um, well, what did he do? He said, he just looked and looked. And I said, and what did you do? And he said, I just went under the covers. And and then, then yeah. when I looked again, he was gone. He went away. Oh, my There was a goodness. time we lost um, family members, young children, um, my niece and nephews. Um, and around that time, a lot of, act- even though it was in the, you know, not here in this area, mm-hmm. a lot of activity. Interesting. My son came tearing up the stairs right around um, five, five years old. And he's like, there's a man on the couch. He's got a suitcase. And I oh. you know, dropped the hairdryer, run down the stairs. There was nothing there, but he's, he explained it like he was waiting for a bus. Oh. And he had like, um, like marks on his suit coat. I mean, it's such detail that a little wow. child, I just don't believe my son would yeah that kind of terror. Yeah. Um, so we had a lot of, problems door wow. handles rattling at night wow you know, all, all of the older kids and everyone but yeah. my youngest son and daughter were really took the brunt of it that is that is sad and fascinating and and wild and and I can imagine just uprooting an entire family was isn't an option you don't just move right. you know I was lucky that I was just a renter I'm still just renting, renting apartment. It's it's easier in that regard. But when you're you have a home and and that you have to, you're almost forced in these positions. And sometimes the spirits like know that and feed off that. And I I've, I know I've mentioned this before. 
Um, but I, I trust my animals and children's judgment in those situations much more than adults, just because time and time again, with proof and hearing people's stories, it's, it's just kids and animals exist on this more innocent plane. And so I think they're more receptive to things and they are able to pick up on things and people are willing to show themselves because they haven't lost that, that innocence yet, or however you want to describe it. And so I, I really do trust, I know kids are funny and they can make up things, but I, I totally trust their judgment. And, and if they were to tell me something like that, um, I would absolutely believe them also. Um, I just a quick little, just talking about the places we live in, just uh, to tell my listeners, I live in probably the most comfortable place I've ever lived in. Like activity wise, I've, it's the least activity I've ever had in my life. And if anything, but the other night we've been here like four or five years. And the other night, my husband and I on our nightstands, we have um, like touch lamps and you touch them and there's three levels of the of dim, medium and really bright. And I just shot like I, my eyes just shot open. It was around 3 a.m. somewhere around there. And I always sleep facing the, the nightstand because I can't sleep with my bed, my back to the edge of the bed because then my mind goes, oh, well, there's someone standing there and it's terrible because then I'll I'll actually like stay uncomfortable sometimes just because I'm too scared to turn the other way. And, um, and so I always generally am facing that way. And I just, my eyes open and then my light turned on, it just ping turned on to the first level. And I was like, huh. And, um, and I just kind of for a moment was like, okay, that's, that's odd. I I was like, maybe I bumped it or maybe the, I just bumped my pillow and my pillow bumped something. Um, who knows? And so I kind of got up and I have a, uh, I'm caring for my dog right now. He's sick. He's on hospice. And so my first thought was, well, of course I could debunk it, but also maybe somebody's trying to say, you need to go check on him because, you know, just wake up. And then I sat up and I'm sitting there and I, you have to ding it all the way through, touch it to the brightest to get it to turn off. And so I had to do that and it woke my husband up um, and he's like, what's going on? And as he said that his dinged on, bing, just his little dim went, went on. And, and I said, honey, and I'm standing far from it. He's not close to it. There's nothing on his end table besides the lamp. And I said, the nightstand, and I said, yours just turned on. And he turned over. I said, my light turned on by itself. And then he was like, oh, that's weird. And then he's half asleep. And then I go, yours just turned on. He turned over and he's like, what the heck? And he turns it, he bright, bright, bright. And I'm like, I'm going to go check on the dog because I'm just, my gut's telling me to. And, uh, and so he turns his off and, um, I'm just, as I'm leaving the room, I look back and as I look back, they both turn on at the same time and I go, honey, and his eyes are closed and it's real dim. So you can't, he, if your eyes are closed, the medium and brightest will wake you up or cause you to open your eyes. And I go, honey, open your eyes. They just both turned on at the same time. And he was like, what? And I go, I got to go. And I went running into the living room. My dog was okay. He was fine. He's, um, you know, he's dealing with, he has good nights and bad nights, but it was a, it was a good night. And I checked on him and I was of course worried. And, and I came back and then my husband left to go on a trip for six days and left me alone in the house the next day. And I was like, okay, you're canceling your trip. I'm like, uh, I'm like, that's it. You're not leaving. But I hadn't had a personal experience. And we kind of tried to debunk it. I hit it with he his end table always has nothing on it. Mine has like a book or something. And uh, I tried to like bump it with objects and they don't turn on just bumping it. And um, we don't 
there's nothing that would have like landed on it or anything like that. So um, it was really weird. Just a personal experience to share happened about three, I want to say three weeks ago. Um, but I'll take that over living with what you have lived with. <laughs> any day. Um, but thank you for sharing all those stories. Um, these are all so fascinating. Are your kid, your stories made me think, are your children, um, like receptive now as adults and are, do, have, do they, have they had their own experiences living in places outside of the home and, um, wherever they've moved or I'm not, I should say, I'm not sure how old they are. I'm assuming they, they're old, <laughs> older and moved out, but that might not be the case. Um, my, so I have five children. Wow. I have four sons and a daughter. Wow. And the eldest are all um, on their own, out of school. Mm. You know, they all have great jobs. Mm. The two youngest, my daughter is at Penn State, and oh, my wow. son is at uh, Georgetown. So oh. he's not, um, he was truly tortured as a young kid and wow. now seems fine. Nothing's really happened that he's ever told me. Mm. Um, but my daughter, does continue to have a lot of, um, mostly for her, it's in her dreams. She has extremely vivid dreams oh. that come true. Wow. And sometimes they're about um, other people, people that she wouldn't really normally know. Um, it's it's a lot. So she's um, she's done like smudging. She's mm. burned candles. She, you know, prays about it. Yeah. Uh, she has a lot of sleepless nights. Mm -hmm. um and she's very fearful yeah she really is uncomfortable here unless yeah. i'm here yeah um but i think they're finding their way i i don't know i don't i think you are much more educated about this i sort of bumble along and it's just the way it is for me <laughs> yeah um i don't really i like i never heard about the bell or all of these mm. things I've, I've never heard about someone calling your voice i you're that's fascinating that to know that yeah um i i think that that they'll be okay. I yeah. Be yeah. Yeah. And honestly, that fear is, that's the hardest part of it all. I'm the same way as much as I respect the building and you just hearing you talk about it would make me feel so comfortable there. I'm just afraid he can't play it. And it just comes down to the fact that fear always gets me, but it's such a double-edged sword because curiosity killed the cat. I keep coming back to it. I've had these experiences. Um, I, I, you know, I lived in this house, I was living in this house temp, like on weekends, my best friend's parents were separated. And so weekends, we would go to New Hampshire and, um, and it, it was just kinetic activity. It was just things moved in front of our eyes. Footsteps happened when we were the only ones downstairs. And, um, you know, things would, we would come home, leave for an hour to go grab a bite or something, come home and everything's, you know, moved and across the room. And, um, when we're out in the yard, it was in the backwoods of New Hampshire outside Keene and Brattleboro. Um, you know, families owned those houses for generations, family buried their family members on the land. And so most of the houses, dirt roads, they had, um, a lot of land each. And so we do bonfires often. And when we're all outside, you know, lights are turning on and off in the house, we could see the windows. And so it was, it got to the point where, I was going out there, it was about a two years where I was out there pretty much every weekend. My best friend, you know, I I was in, I think I was in middle school or the beginning of high school. And um, 
Yeah. And, and she told, she knew I was like sensitive and, and fearful. And so she said, she didn't tell me until we were like driving there the first, she said, by the way, it's an active house. Um, but she kind of thought it was funny. And then the activity totally ramped up with me coming there. And I think it was because of my fear. And, um, her dad was like the bravest, bravest person I know because he lived with that by himself all day and every day. Um, it was only us that ever came to see him. Um, and so he couldn't have cared less. He thought it was funny. And I was like, I don't know how you do that. But it got to the point where about, I want to say about a year, maybe a year into it, she, my fear and the ramping up of it caused her to be unwilling to go there. And the dad put us up in a hotel for a whole year, every weekend, like the local uh, motel down the road, because he was like, well, I'm not going to not see my daughter. And he said, you're not lying. I live with it. And so he put us up and paid for us. Um, and I always think about that because that property's not in the family anymore. And I always think now years and years later, that was my like late teens, um, mid, mid to late teens. I always think I wish I could now, you know, in my mid thirties, go back there or go back with my friend and, and, and just witness it again. But it was, it was undeniable. And, and then, and then this, these other things that have happened, you know, where someone mimicked my brother's voice, that's more like psychological torment. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just fascinating and, 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 and scary. And so that's why like, this podcast truly is cathartic and, and hearing people and then it is really comforting seeing, you know, hearing people that are brave. And, and I just want to read a description that you said in the email you sent me. I thought it was really beautiful. You said, um, the paranormal fits naturally into my life these days. Um, it feels very natural that this energy is all around of us, all around, sorry, is around all of us. Recently, um, oh, and then you talked about uh, while waiting on a Zoom call to begin a bird spirit sailed across the screen that made me smile. So I just thought that was a really wonderful um, description and way. So there's all types of paranormal aficionados ranging from your daughter and I to you. <laughs> you know, and that's why it's so wonderful to speak to you. Um, another question I had for you was, just, I always like to ask my guests, do you have like bucket list locations, you know, kind of dipping your toes in the paranormal community? Is there like a haunted location or locations you'd want to go to? Even just geographical area. Some of my guests have said like Scotland or Ireland um, with, you know, the history and age of things. But is there anywhere you'd ever want to go after having the experiences that you've had? Or anywhere you want to avoid? <laughs> no, it, it, and that's the... I don't look for it. I feel yeah. like it, it finds me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was at the, um, there's a mansion in Troy that is, um, I went with my friend who was giving a history, um, like a speech. And it, it, I think it's the Cluett, something Cluett Mansion yeah. in Troy. Okay. So I went to this, I went to like this uh, tour and the downstairs was beautiful and that's kind of like where they had like the luncheon and then you'd go through this doorway into, into the actual house and on the second floor i had this overwhelming feeling like i couldn't breathe like i was gonna pass out wow. i was gonna be sick like i had all of these you know feelings like i thought there was something wrong with me and wow i asked the I waited, we went back downstairs and then I felt completely normal immediately once I got back downstairs. Wow. And I said to her, did anything ever happen here? Like a death? And she's like, oh yes. Well, someone died on the third floor who was, I believe a caregiver of the building. Wow. Um, 
And they did have a son that had um, emotional issues or mental, some sort of, you know, mental issues or emotional issues, I'm not sure. And they used to lock him up in a room because they had a lot of children and they didn't want him making a fuss. So they would lock him in this room. And that around oh. that little, and it was a small, basically a clo- like a little larger than a closet. That's where I felt this extreme feeling. Whoa. And um, so when I think about that, I think mm, best not to go looking for trouble yeah wow yep yeah i know in our in our uh uh conversations via email prior to this you said you avoid cemeteries and known haunted locations and i think that's smart (laughs) definitely it feels like you might be a magnet for it and um or you've just luck of the draw you've just been around you physically lived in places just happen to be that's where you know a lot of uh energy is happening but i don't think that i think that's smart i don't think that's a bad idea by any means um let it come to you and i just wanted for my listeners i think i talked about this i'm pretty sure in the troy episode i did but just to reiterate it's the heart i just googled it quick the heart cluett c-l-u-e-t-t mansion heart cluett mansion it's a beautiful property um so um, I'm pretty, that sounds very familiar, um, but I'm pretty sure I covered it. But if not, I'll, I'll double check and look into it, talk about some history. But that's that's a fascinating story too. Um, pretty much the, the other question I had was, I mean, is there anything else about uh, that you think is maybe important for people to know about the paranormal if we didn't already cover it? Or, or is there anything else you'd like to share with, with us? should keep their eyes open and, and trust yeah. their instincts. I um, love that. As I've gone along, I noticed that um, a lot of things show up in mirrors. Oh. Um, I was at a Super Bowl party and the chairs were arranged in such a way. It was an old farmhouse in Charlton. And um, to get by me to go down the hall, you would have to like say, excuse, you know, that was tight. Mm. It was a tight space. But I saw s- someone in white with a dress, white dress, white hat, like pass in front of the mirror so i said to one of the owner's children i said who's the lady in the white dress and they're like oh that's mary oh my gosh i said well mary wants to say hello and uh it was it was kind of like a cool little like it wasn't really it wasn't scary it wasn't scary and it's happened in hotels too um where something passes in front of the mirror and i think well okay they just i i think that these I don't know a lot about this, as I said earlier, I, but I feel like they're just bumbling around. Mm-hmm. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. I don't think it's always um, with an agenda. Yeah, I agree I with that. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think there's a lot of evidence for there's there's. They say in the paranormal world there, and I'm gonna I'm gonna forget the terms. There's the ghosts that are kind of recurring on a. It's almost like it's a a videotape of them just replaying and they don't it's not an it's an intelligent haunt or a and I'm forgetting the term it starts with an r um and the term that starts with the r is just they're kind of just like it's like almost just like their spirit just cycling and they're they have no perception of anyone around them I've heard stories of um you know the same time every night at 11 p.m a woman with a lantern walks through our living room and just disappears and same face she never we call out to her she doesn't turn um 
so it's this recurring thing and then there's the intelligent haunt so I think you're absolutely spot on with that my my friend that I mentioned earlier she who has a podcast um the outcasts that call it's called they their episode this past week was on mirrors and um I know mirrors have have always made me really scared to the point that I actually haven't wanted to research them because then my mind will run away with me when I'm home alone or about to try to go to sleep but the the episode was absolutely fascinating and I actually will I'll send that your way it might be it might be fun to listen to but I learned a lot from that also um but yeah mirrors are a, a fascinating fascinating thing and um my the place I live in now as much as I love it it's the biggest bathroom mirror I've ever had in my life <laughs> it's like the size of the vanity maybe 48 inches wide and it goes all the way up to the ceiling so it's like four by six feet it's gigantic so every morning I'm in there I'm like please not today <laughs> nobody come through today but she touched upon how um double double reflections like when you're looking in a mirror and there's another mirror and she touches upon that I never knew anything about that um so very fascinating and to hear your firsthand accounts with them that's that's wild um and I think that was really beautiful what you said keep your eyes open take photos I think that's wonderful advice um the the last thing I wanted to just make sure our listeners knew about because you did this really wonderful thing and I'm sorry if I'm explaining it incorrectly I'll have you explain it but through the Boston Spa Village Cemetery there's a compilation of uh writing it's called Tales of the Crypt and I'll I'll basically turn it over to you but uh Sue wrote this beautiful story which I'm gonna um end up reading so it will be included on this episode but could you just tell our listeners a little bit about that project Sure. Um, I was volunteering at the um, Saratoga County um, Historical Society. My friend Lauren is the historian. And I had done a lot of research on my building, the owner, and a a lot of um, people associated with it, very interesting um, people. So she said, well, you have all this history. Why don't you, you know, do this uh, writing challenge? And basically, in the cemetery... There was a crypt for the Walsh family. They put a camera in to the crypt, and they noticed that the the body of Mrs. Walsh is missing. Eliza Walsh is, this is a true story. Her body is missing, and they don't know what happened to her. They feel that maybe, you know, the grave was robbed, or because the the, uh, black covering was ripped away, the casket lid was off. Wow. So the cemetery around Halloween said, you know, you could write a story or a poem and explain what you think happened to her. So we, a lot of people were were excited about this. And we read portions of our stories and our poems at the uh, Brookside Museum. So they published this on the cemetery site. So I'm sure not many people have seen it, but it is um, some interesting works. I'm really excited to hear um, your take on it. And I will make sure that I share this with our listeners so they can read, have access to reading um, the entire compilation of poems and stories. Because what a cool little project. I, I, I never knew anything about it. So I think it's really wonderful and important um, to the local history and lore. And I I do kind of think that the more you talk about something unresolved like that it spiritually just potentially increases the chances that you might find some answers like and really honor the person that um it's affecting and you know the deceased person and maybe you never know the more we talk about it the the more we may be able to help 
find them help them find some peace um with it also so i think that's really great that you were a part of that all right friends sit back relax and enjoy this story written by sue burning secrets a secret by definition is not to be known or seen by others Secrets come in all shapes and sizes. A secret can be the saucer of milk Lodi, the housemaid, slips to the calico cat who winds her long tail around the porch spindle when Mrs. Walsh is away from home. Or perhaps the unmannerly comments Mr. Walsh whispers to the well-heeled ladies who lingered this to see the damask furniture and polished decor at Mr. Morrissey's new casino. A secret could include young Mr. Massey's clandestine trips to bring fruit and sweets to the thin orphan children at the Hawley home. Perhaps a secret is a hushed story that Mrs. Walsh's husband has a weakness for gambling and liquor. The Walshes were prominent, wealthy, and beautiful. They owned a residence in New York City but preferred the charming village of Boston Spa during the summer months. As a renowned family, Mr. and Mrs. Walsh grew accustomed to being the subject of local gossip. Eliza had lost her parents, a young sister, and most recently her brother, John. Eliza was childless and it seemed that her husband was slipping away as well. Sometimes a secret is a dark and precarious thing and one would think that it highly unlikely for someone as mousy and dull as E.J. Gilborn, a local undertaker and furniture store owner in Boston Spa, to possess. People assume that an undertaker is accustomed to carrying the secrets of others, what they died wearing, what trinket, they, trinket lay pinned in their silk petticoat or burning letter in their pocket. The biggest problem with a secret is, of course, keeping it, and Mr. Gilborn had a sizable one. H.B. Massey, Herbert to his father, was a handsome young man with an old soul and a brilliant mind. Black hair and blue-eyed, Massey, the coarse and charming criminal, navigated the underground and the back alley with ease and grace. Samuel O. Massey taught his son Herbert everything he knew about the hotel business, tidiness, food service, illegal liquor sales, tax evasion, and arson. Herbert flourished and understood that his success often may stem from the loss and misfortune of others. Sometimes philanthropy was deemed necessary, and the senior Massey donated funds to entities reaping the largest rewards, such as the St. James Episcopal Church on Main Street in Milton Center. A generous gift would buy land, build the church foundation, and a rosy relationship with the pious citizens and legitimize the name Massey. Unfortunately, working with his father in the small hotel of Milton Center couldn't hold an ambition, ambitious man like young Herbert, for he had the taste, for he had a taste for that which was just out of his reach. In the late summer of 1869, that which was unobtainable included the fame his idol, Old Smoke Morrissey, had achieved. Morrissey, having conquered the fighting world, entertained the glamorous people of Saratoga Springs. John Morrissey was a clever man. He discovered ways to separate the resources from the patron with horse racing day by day and high stakes gambling at night. Morrissey dazzled his patrons with statues, brass, and beautifully carved wood in his famous Saratoga casino. The clubhouse Morrissey was the people's horseman a class act and he served as a role model to hb 
H.B. worked for Mr. Walsh during these years, primarily in his smoky pool halls, but also assisting him in any capacity he required. H.B. could be seen accompanying him on the railways or delivering whiskey. Walsh was a demanding man, calculating and brusque. He found relationships cumbersome. Massey was optimistic, eager to advance. Like wealth and notoriety, Mrs. Eliza Walsh was just another one of those things known to him, but just out of reach. Herbert found excuses to call on the Walsh residence, particularly when Mr. Walsh was working in New York. During one such visit, wind and hail overtook the grand home and servants scattered in every direction, fearing the deluge. Running from the rain with skirts in hand, laughing and chasing her dog, Maggie, Eliza cast off her proper countenance and experienced exuberant joy. Massey scooped up the muddy, squirming terrier pup and tucked her under his arm. He dried her with his handkerchief and presented her like a prize. Eliza clapped her hands, her bright eyes and lovely mouth smiled, and H.B. was caught by a storm in every sense. Elusive no longer, locked eyes ultimately led to a surreptitious engagement. Ten miles away, a disheveled E.L. Walsh sat alone in his tidy, dank office, watching the raindrops chase each other down the pane. His large hand cupped a tumbler of whiskey. Closing his eyes, he remembered his father's angry face and mocking words, his mother's disappointed eyes. He finished the burning libation and hurled the glass at the silent, gaping mouth of the fireplace. Eliza Walsh struggled to fabricate a plausible excuse to go to town, and the servants exchanged worried glances. Dr. Baker had attended to Mrs. Walsh some days before, and she appeared more distant and weak each day. Steadying herself, she smoothed her hair and chose a charming silk bonnet of green. Feigning a late morning breakfast with her husband, Mrs. Walsh requested the driver, a small professional man who strived for excellence and excelled at loyalty, to deliver her to the St. Charles. The St. Charles was a middle-class hotel owned by the assistant H.B. Massey's uncle and the driver. Mrs. Harris, Mr. Harris, felt ill at ease. Arriving at the hotel, Eliza accepted the assistance, smiled weakly, and sent the driver on for another errand. Stepping away from the carriage provided a reprieve from the pain of jostling and the imploring eyes of her servants. Stubbornly, Eliza trudged uphill towards the cemetery, stopping often, crying softly much of the way. It was a cool and cloudy September morning and a risky outing for a woman physically ill with the problems of women to embark on. Concealing a white rose under her shawl, Eliza carefully stepped around the stones of the dead. Kneeling at a small, fresh grave and impersonal stone, Eliza Walsh lay the rose for the lost angel feeling deep remorse and anguish. The bells of St. Mary's tolled and a few crows scattered. Fever and pain gripped Eliza as she made her way back toward town to find her carriage and driver. Eliza admonished herself for her lack of gratitude. H.B. had confidentially arranged for the tiny one's burial, and she was tremendously indebted. E.J. Gilborn delighted in fires, precisely those he set. Careful notations were made in his pinched handwriting about these curiosities. Dates, locations, losses, and sometimes names or special notations were included on this paper trophy he held close at all times, nearly. 
Fate can be a peculiar thing and timing crucial. How can it otherwise be explained how such a personal possession could be carelessly discarded in a moment of distraction on an ordinary day and happened upon by the devil who could decipher its meaning? Watching from a few yards away, H.B. delighted in the frustration and panic on the mime's face as the puny undertaker realized his mistake, repeatedly checking his pockets and taking off his hat, cursing his error. Astute people pay attention and Massey gleaned that this seemingly winged paper held great value to the flustered man in the tweed coat. He ducked into his uncle Arthur's tailor shop to examine the document. There were lists and dates and numbers, a hideous register. Some recent fires Herbert recognized, the materials he found familiar. He wasn't opposed to the occasional torch, sometimes events needed to transpire, he reasoned. Samuel O. taught his son the incendiary skills he possessed. The Milton Hotel blaze was not a perfect fire, as they nearly killed Herbert's sleeping sister. However, the competition was eliminated and his father's new hotel opened days later. Ironic, the newspaper said. The piece of paper the frantic man lost indicated a bowling alley owned by E.L. Walsh. Walsh, how rich, was burned September 1st, 1851. No insurance. Five unsuccessful attempts to burn the San Sauchi, now vacant, with rags, wood, and kerosene, floor too wet, the list included notations, burned quickly, too windy, loss of life, unavoidable, family known to be excellent customers. A person of experience recognizes that the true purpose of an unexpected opportunity often takes time to discern. Therefore, Herbert Massey placed the fate of the undertaker in his wallet for safekeeping. Eliza had her own secrets. After abruptly discontinuing the affair with H.B. Massey, Eliza considered ingesting pennyroyal, rue, and tansy tea to end the potentially scandalous pregnancy. Ultimately, it was not the pernicious beverage, but Eliza's husband's violent hands that cast the die and altered many lives. Eliza survived only a few weeks after the premature birth. The Walsh's physician, Dr. Baker, understood the private matters of women, rules and social norms mattered little to him. Bright's disease would be listed as the official cause of death. Eliza Walsh was dead at the age of 38, unaware of Massey's true feelings. E.L. Walsh arrived late for the rainy funeral. His speech was slurred and his eyes were bloodshot. Pushing open the heavy painted door worn from many hands of heavy grief, the weight just right for the burdens he and others carried into Mr. E.J. Gilborn's funeral home, H.B. Massey entered silently. With a mix of trepidation and curiosity, Mr. Gilborn stood but did not move towards his guest. Without introduction, H.B. held up a worn folded piece of paper. The glint of recognition, the eyes of widening just for an instant, Herbert watched the synapses of the tired, trapped man connect. Sinking into a plush red chintz chair, typically reserved for those contemplating great loss, Gilborn considered his precarious position. Mr. Massey would request a favor. Mr. Walsh, a, Mrs. Walsh, a Catholic woman, however misguided, was to be buried in the Catholic cemetery with her and with her their child the flustered funeral director retorted with scathing words a refusal citing propriety and duty logistics hb massey a petty criminal and fellow arsonist was also a grieving father and lover and a man accustomed to using violent means to achieve a desired outcome 
the slightly yellowed treasure or inventory and register would arrive by post some weeks later addressed to its owner, EJG, no return address. The arsonist, undertaker, and furniture salesman would cautiously open the letter, humming to himself, a habit he employed when he was quite nervous. The logistics of properly weighing weighing the bodiless waiting the bodiless casket was left to fred young a sleazy and unskilled middle-aged man with a serious drinking problem with a great deal of debt the only skill required in this instance was strength and the entire matter was settled when mr massey arrived for his precious package at the late hour of half past midnight mr gilborn did not turn in his chair but acknowledged that the sound of the door and soft steps on the rich carpet with the tilt of his head Mr. Gilborn promised himself that he would not set any future fires, knowing that he was already fingering the matches in his pocket. The first weak rays of autumn sun filtered through the trees onto paper onto the paper shades of the sleepy citizens of Boston Spa, casting macabre shadows. In town, the clang of a fire alarm disrupted any peace of the morning. Of the morning, the a mentally and physically depleted man brushed back a lock of hair and patted down the last earth on a freshly dug grave. H.B. traced his fingers over a recently whittled cross. A bottle of expensive whiskey lay unopened. A shovel and pick lay nearby. Anger and grief were the only witnesses. Years later, before the looters pried open the empty casket of Eliza Walsh, Mr. Gilborn would burn his own furniture store, collecting the tidy sum of $4,000. Old Smoke would return to the Adelphi and breathe his last ragged breath. Still later, it would be reported that Dr. Clarence Baker, falsely certified to the Board of Health, patient Victoria Connors, died of consumption rather than abortion, ending Dr. Baker's covenant with his desperate patients. On the same day, renowned undertaker E.J. Gilborn would be found dead in a water tank, unable to withdraw himself. Later still, H.B. Massey would lose his own hotel to fire on a cold March morning, but go on to purchase Pleasure Grove, his own pool hall, then a restaurant and bowling alley. Overwhelmed by guilt for his role in casket tinkering, Mr. Young would take his own life in a St. Charles Hotel bathroom. E.L. Walsh or Charlie or Ed, depending on the acquaintance, would be noticed picnicking with a rotating list of fawning socialites and pretty housemaids just outside the lovely empty limestone crypt to convene with women he never knew, each of these carrying their own burning secrets. Welcome back, friends. I hope you enjoyed that beautiful story written by Sue. That was pretty much everything. I All my questions, thank you so much for letting me pick your brain. And um, I am so beyond excited to share all of the imagery that accompanied our conversation. So friends, look out for that. I'll be posting that on Sunday um, when we release everything this coming Sunday. So I'm really excited. And um, Sue, I always tell my guests, uh, you are always welcome back. You know, if there's not necessarily talking about like maybe where you live or anything, but maybe there's just a, a topic you want to delve into. And even if it's something you don't know a lot about, I'm happy to do the research. Like if anything piques your interest, um, whether it's in the 518 or not, um, you're always welcome back or if it's a platform for you. So if, you, if there's more stories you want to share or just anything, um, we're happy to have you back. So thank you so, so very much. Um, 
And I just wanted to reiterate, it's the Massey Building in um, Boston Spa, the beautiful building that uh, Sue has kindly taken the time to uh, restore. We thank the community, I'm sure, thanks you for that. And yeah, I always cheers, my big cheers to you, and, and thank you so very much. Thank you, Juliana. And I wanted to say that you're a lot more brave than we think. <laughs> thank you. I needed to hear that. <laughs> Well, on that note, listeners, I always say a big cheers to everyone, and uh, I always end it with happy haunting.